This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, at the weekend, the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, spoke out about the banks and the rates they're paying, interest rates they're paying, or in many cases, in most cases, not paying to customers, despite the fact that interest rates have risen quite dramatically. He said, did Mr. Harris, that the Irish banks had been, quote, complete and utter laggards when it came to passing on increases in interest rates to savers. He also talked about uh, the, the bank levy, which people hope will be extended. But we all know, I think, that we're getting no interest, whilst if you borrow from banks, you're being charged considerably more than you used to be. To someone like me, it's a mystery, but not to my next guest, which is uh, Chris Johns. Chris, of course, one of our most popular contributors uh, and most knowledgeable contributors. Chris is uh, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland. He's now a very respected commentator with his own podcast called The Other Hand. Uh, Chris, uh, it's nice to talk to you about something that I know you know inside out as the former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland. I take it Simon Harris, who is a bit of a populist, but here it would be at least two cheers and maybe three cheers for his intervention. Yeah, having a go at bankers, of course, is, is always yes. easy for any politician. And the banks haven't helped themselves at all by supplying uh, any politician, not just a populist one, with the ammunition they need to have a go. Because in, in the first half of the year, uh, of this year, the first six months of 2023, AIB and Bank of Ireland and the other small bank permanent TSB, they reported around two billion in profits for just that first half, if you add up their numbers. AIB's profit was up around 80% over the same period in the previous year. And Bank of Ireland's numbers were up 138% compared to the previous year. And all of these big increases, or let's be accurate about this, a huge chunk 
of these big increases in profits arise from higher ECB interest rates. Because what happens is that the Irish banks have a lot of customer money, Irish citizens' money on deposit in current accounts, and to a far lesser extent in low interest paying savings accounts. And this money is used for all sorts of different reasons. It's used to lend out in mortgages and the other activities of the bank. But a huge amount of it is just parked at the ECB. It does nothing. They just take your current account and send it off to Frankfurt uh, via the Irish Central Bank. So AIB, for example, the numbers are huge. They're, uh, they earned in the first half of the year 3.75% on around 1.2 uh, to give them around 1.2 billion in income on around 30 billion of your savings that they parked at the ECB. And nothing passed on to... And very little passed on. There's a league table of European banks uh, that have... That the top is the country that has passed on the most of central bank rate increases, and at the bottom is the country that has passed on the least. At the top, you might be surprised to learn that the country that has passed on most of the central bank's interest rate rises, in this particular case, it's not the ECB, because the country is the UK. And the, the country at the bottom of this league table is Ireland. And they have passed on, amongst the European major countries, the least amount. Now, there are a number of things the banks would say in response to this. One would be that they actually haven't, they've also not passed on all of the rate rises into mortgage rates. So, so in terms of the amount of money that they charge people. Yes. And that is to a certain extent true. Uh, Ireland is now probably around about the Eurozone average for mortgage rates. It used to be amongst the most expensive. So there has been a small benefit, but it's only small and it, it, it's only something the banks would say. The reason why Irish banks don't pay decent rates of interest in the way that, for example, their UK counterparts do is because there aren't very many of them. Yes. And that's a way of saying there isn't any competition. So there are, in effect, two and a half banks in Ireland. AIB and Bank of Ireland are the big two, and you've got the much smaller permanent TSB. And they carve up the market between them. The two banks, just let me ask you a question uh, relating to that, Chris. Um, two banks have left Ireland. KBC, I think, is one of them, and Ulster Bank. Uh, yeah. Why? Um, that was really a legacy, a long legacy of the of the financial crisis and they, the the experience that they had in Ireland, the boom bust economy, uh, and they made a decision that they couldn't make any money in Ireland, leaving the market to the, the main Irish players. They lost so much money in these foreign right. ventures. Uh, that they were forced by their regulator as much as anything to pull out. Now, you might argue, looking at these sorts of numbers, that they pulled out just at the wrong moment and that uh, there was a huge windfall that they have left on the table for AIB and Bank of Ireland to, to gain. And I think there's an element of truth to that. But the fact is that for a whole host of reasons, regulatory, bad decisions, uh, bad experience uh, during the, the Celtic Tiger years, they, they left and as a result, the, the Irish banking scene is now non-competitive. If it costs 4.5% to borrow money, or if your mortgage interest rate is around that figure, and your next-door neighbour has money on deposit in a bank, is it reasonable to have such a gap? In fact, you get nothing if your next-door neighbour won't get anything even though they have uh, money on account there and maybe savings on account, that surely is is grossly unfair. 
Yes, there's lots to unpick there, Eamon. Sorry, you I, 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 I'm, I'm an idiot think, when it comes to this. If you think about any business, whether you're manufacturing widgets, whether you're selling fruit down in the market, whether you're Apple making high-tech phones, you have something called a profit margin. And that's the difference between what you sell your good or service for and what it costs you to make. And for a bank, the profit margin is there's a piece of jargon. And this is always the problem with banks is that the jargon immediately confuses more than it clarifies and people fail to understand actually just how simple a business banking actually is. They borrow and they lend. And the difference between their borrowing rates and their lending rates is their profit margin. And in the jargon, it's called a net interest margin. It's called that because they pay interest on what they borrow from the likes of us. And in, 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 at the moment, that's give or take zero. So their cost of funds is zero or just a little bit positive. And their revenues, that the, the interest rate that they charge is the mortgage rate, the overdraft rate, the credit card rate. The difference between the two is enormous. It hasn't been this wide for a very long period of time. And economists will say that profit margins, there's no right or wrong answer to, to the question, is this fair or not? What we try to look at is underneath the hood and say, well, how much competition is in this marketplace, yes. whether it is for widgets, apples, or banking products, doesn't right. matter. And the fact is, notwithstanding some of the comments that the chief executive of Bank of Ireland made when these results were announced, is that there isn't any competition in Ireland. The Bank of Ireland's chief executive differed with that remark by pointing out that there are lots of other much smaller uh, challenger banks and other people from the tech space coming in to Ireland. You've probably heard of Revolut. Yes. They, I have no idea what it is, but I have heard of it. It's online only, and there are lots of other names in this space. And the hope is, indeed the expectation is, that ultimately these supernormal profits of the banks will be competed away. The way economists think about supernormal profits, and that's a piece of jargon that answers your question that says, yes, these profit margins are unfair. They're not right. They're as a, they're as a result of a lack of competition. Now, lack of competition can arise in a number of ways. The old-fashioned way was that chief executives of any business that was trying to rig the market would get together over a nice lunch and just organize a cartel. <laughs> you remember that phrase? Well, you'll, you'll remember the, the lunches, because I'm sure you were at plenty of them. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> not me, Eamon, not me. Oh, no, no, always, always of course not. Not. Cartels are illegal. Uh, there are competition laws to make sure that we do, that, that doesn't happen anymore. The, the main cartel that's out there is OPEC, actually, and that they are, of course, rig, try to rig the oil market yes. via its price all the time. Uh, you can, but you can cooperate without being an explicit cartel in, in all sorts of uh, implicit ways. Now, when there's only two people operating in a marketplace like you have in Ireland banking at the moment, you don't actually have to have the chief executive sitting over a lunch table agreeing not to compete with each other. They know the rules of the game. Yes. And they're unspoken. They're unwritten. There's no collusion. There's nothing illegal going on. There's nothing that they're breaking the law over, but they know that provided they don't uh, move in terms of putting interest rates up, the probability is that their competitor won't either because there's only one of them. And that yes. if the two of them just behave in exactly the same fashion, they're quids in. And I think that's what's going on. Now, the chief executive says there's lots of all these new challenger banks, these, these new online banks coming into Ireland that will uh, sort all this out. Uh, that, that may be true. Um, we don't know how long that's going to take. Um, it is certainly happening in a small way. 
but nothing that is denting the profits of these banks, which are enormous. They are making money that other banks in other countries could only salivate over, only dream about, actually. The, 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 the various measures that we have for measuring bank profitability are beginning to look eye-watering. AIB, I mean, there's something called return on equity, which is a very simple accounting concept that, um, again, these pieces of jargon confuse as much as they clarify. But if, 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 but if the market thought that AIB's return on equity was 20%, which it is, and is going to be sustained going forward, AIB share price would be much higher than it is now. What the market is saying by keeping AIB share price relatively low is that these profits are either going to be competed or regulated away. Right. Either these challenger banks are going to come in and compete these profits away. Or the finance minister, via some form of windfall tax or extension of the bank levy, is going to do something about it. That may or may not be true. These, these profits may be around for a long period of time, unless something happens. But they, they look, at the moment, to be very sustainable. The third thing that could happen to bank profits, which is true of banks everywhere, is that a good old-fashioned recession really, really damages bank profits. But that is nowhere on the horizon at the moment to touch wood for Ireland. So it lo it's looking very, very good if you're a a bank shareholder. Now, the, the budget is coming and the government, um, and the Irish government compared to other European countries, uh, our economy uh, is said to be very healthy, principally because of taxes levied on multinationals who are here and who could, of course, go at any time. And I'm correct in that um, yes, assessment. Yes, over the next four years, the Department of Finance is projecting a budget surplus of around 65 billion euros. Yes. That, that's a sufficiently large number to have attracted in the last few days. The BBC over to Dublin have run one of their main news items on the six o'clock news as to what on earth is Ireland doing so well? Because, of course, the contrast between the, the state of Ireland's public finances and Britain's couldn't be starker because we ain't got no money. If, if you'd like to bung us any, please feel free. Yeah. But uh, on the other hand, to confirm something you said earlier, if you live in the, in the UK, 43% of the benefits uh, to a deposit ha are passed on to you. If you live in Ireland, it's 7%. Yeah, we, we've got lots of banks. You don't. We have a more competitive right. banking environment. We have both a still quite a large number of high street retail banks, a diminishing number, it has to be said. Uh, you know, the, these, <laughs> the number of branches is going down. The number of banks is going down, not up. But we do have more of these challenger banks. I mean, uh, I, I don't want to give any more advertising than necessary no. to Revolut, but you know that's one that you can get a half decent rate of interest on your internet only uh, account. And there are lots and lots of different banks. For example, uh, the, the big American banks, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, have internet bank offerings in the UK that offer uh, again it's internet only, online only. But the rates of interest that you can get on your instant access savings is over four percent. Right. Now, that's eye-watering compared to what uh, anybody in Ireland can get on their accounts. And these banks are not available in Ireland. So as a result of all this competition for deposits, um, people competing yes. to get my money, my pittance, and everybody else's in the UK, they pay up for it. Where there is no competition in Ireland, so they, they don't have to pay up for it. Very simple stuff. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, people are, um, many people, and some politicians on the left in particular, are agitating for what's called a windfall tax on the profits that the banks are making. I know that in, in Italy, for example, the new prime minister, who is tainted by her fascist past and maybe her fascist presence and indeed the warmth of her relationship with Vladimir Putin. Nevertheless, uh, she introduced a windfall tax, and it was a disaster. Uh, Tell us why, Chris. Well, they introduced something uh, that was an explicit tax on this thing that I spoke about earlier on, the profit margin of banks. And it was based on if your profit margin exceeded a key threshold, then we would tax that excess profits. So it was was actually reasonably well designed in the sense that it went after excess profits measured by the profit margin. And it it was curious that a ultra-right wing, as you say, neo-fascist government that traditionally and historically and philosophically is supposed to be pro-business was going after, in a very left-wing way, um, a a big, big Italian business sector called the banks. The share prices of Italian banks and a lot of other banks around Europe actually reacted accordingly. They fell. That, of course, brings out all sorts of vested interests from the woodwork to bring pressure on the Italian government to backtrack, which they subsequently did. They changed the basis of measurement so that the ultimate effect on bank profits is not going to be anywhere near as bad as it was on the original measure. And so within 24 hours, shareholders breathed a sigh of relief and bank, Italian bank share prices went up a bit then and everything was fine. But it's not the only thing she's done, actually, in terms of being anti-business. She's gotten very upset about airlines, and including Ryanair. 
and the, the, particularly flights from mainland Italy to the island of Sicily and I think Sardinia, um, and saying that they're too expensive and that, that they're trying to cap airfares, right. uh, which, which is another anti-business measure from a very right-wing, supposedly pro-business government. So it's, it's curious that these sorts of developments are happening. But of course, that just elicits or reminds us that so there are calls for both the extension, the continuation and extension of the bank levy, which goes back at least a decade in Ireland. Let me ask you, Chris, about the benefit we get from multinational companies that are here, particularly the uh, American ones in the pharma and tech sectors. Is it important that we behave, should we say, moderately and not get carried away uh, by the tax we get from these companies because they could always leave. And, for, for example, I can imagine a Trump presidency or even a Biden presidency saying, hold on a minute, you know, we want you to pay your tax in the United States. Is that a possibility? Is there a danger in looking at the returns, the tax returns from business um, and getting carried away? Absolutely. And the Department of Finance itself, your budgetary watchdog, IFAC, um, continuously warns that uh, they don't know the exact number, but say, let's say around half of your corporation tax revenues are vulnerable to the sort of thing that you are just describing there, which is that the companies themselves yes. decide overnight to go elsewhere, or perhaps more likely there is a change in the global corporate tax regime, either because some other country decides that Ireland it doesn't deserve the, the, the amount of corporation tax it's getting, that a country like Germany or France or Japan, or anywhere else would like some of that, or as you say, that a future US president says, uh, we want these, these taxes paid in the United States. And any one or all of those things could happen. The threat from reform of global taxation has been lumbering around for years. The actual tax rate that these companies are going to pay in the next year or two is going up, actually, as a result of those global corporation yeah, tax some reforms. Twelve and a half percent to fifteen, so, isn't it? So one of the one of the the initial paradoxical results of global taxation reform, which was supposed to redistribute profits more fairly according to some criteria, is that Ireland's corporation tax revenues might actually go up as a result of that increase in the rate. <laughs> right. Because not not much else seems to have changed yet. There is always the threat that something will. So, as you say, it is prudent to assume that these revenues that you're having uh, are not going to be sustained in the future. So, the key thing is never to build them into permanent government spending yes. commitments. Don't put your public sector salaries up. Don't embark on a 30-year investment program that relies on these revenues to fund it. Uh, the right thing to do is to, is to put the revenues that you think are unsustainable into something like a sovereign wealth fund, which is exactly what ministers McGrath and Donoghue are proposing. And so the, the approach taken is, 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 is now finally very sensible. You could argue they should have done it years ago, and indeed they should, but uh, they've, they've gotten lucky. The, these revenues haven't suddenly disappeared. And in fact, the opposite has happened. The revenues, month by month, year by year, just keep coming in bigger than anybody forecast. And that's happened again this year. They just keep growing, actually, Eamon. The threat is very much 
in the future, what actually happens on the ground is that the numbers just keep growing yes. uh, to the point where you could you'd almost be embarrassed by it. As they say, the BBC turned up on the streets of Dublin uh, in the last few days, and they interviewed the head of the ESRI down in the docks there, to, and he was at pains to point out that uh, the, 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 the economic activity of, which generates these taxes is real, it, these are not bra, what you call bla, brass plate operations, yes. funny money taxes. These are real substantive operations that take place in Ireland. And uh, you do attract that kind of interest from, from overseas. And it's, it's, it's envy as much as anything because your economy and your public sector finances are in such rude health compared to many other countries. Now, there does seem to be a basic unfairness, as uh, indeed Simon Harris referred to when he talked about the Irish banks being laggards and compared them unfavorably uh, to European banks to uh, the situation that uh, Irish savers are in. A lot of people, of course, will have bank overdrafts. Uh, uh, most uh, people, many people indeed, will be paying mortgages at, you know, really punishing uh, rates. But people who have saved and been and they should not be exploited the way they're being exploited by the two banks there at the moment. The question is, Chris, is there anything a government can do that is sensible and well, fair? And there fair? two parts to your question. There's lots that they can do. <laughs> Whether it's sensible or not is, is, is a more difficult question to answer. Yes, so the bank levy is almost certain to be extended um, in terms of its lifespan beyond this year into 2024. Finance Minister McGraw has promised that review will take place as part of the budgetary process. Whether or not it's extended to pull in more money remains to be seen. The temptation is clearly there to tax some of these profits. It won't, it won't help savers in directly. I mean, I suppose indirectly, if a saver is also a taxpayer and the state is getting some extra tax revenues, that's a good thing, but they won't feel it in their pockets. Uh, the only way you will ever get savings up, savings rates to re reflect better the ECB's rates, which is which is what you're trying to achieve here, is to introduce more competition into the Irish yes. banking market. Yeah, and th there are a number of ways you could do that. Um, the, I think technology ultimately will sort this out because one of the things that the um, Irish central bank could do, theoretically at least, it doesn't do it at the moment, and I don't think there are any central banks in the world who are yet to do this, but it's coming because technology is going to allow this to happen, is that our bank accounts will be uh, with the central bank rather than the retail banks. And there is nothing stopping the Irish central bank offering retail uh, accounts to every citizen of Ireland and, and just paying the ECB rate. That would, of course, immediately destroy the profitability of the retail banks, which is the main reason why they haven't done it yet. The other reason why they haven't done it yet is that somebody is also going to have to do the lending. You can take the deposits, but who's going to lend them out for Irish mortgages and Irish companies and Irish credit cards and Irish car loans? Somebody's going to do that. But I think technology is going to be the answer there as well, because at the moment, if you go into a bank or building society and ask for a loan, you go through a very checklist process whereby all sorts of criteria, if you meet, you get the loan, and if you don't meet the criteria, you don't get the loan. It's not very, it's pretty impersonal. That's a kind of process that is crying out for digitization. Uh, just render it, you know, in front, put it in front of an algorithm and let the algorithm do the lending. That's going to, I think, do for Irish retail banks and retail banks everywhere, actually, not just in Ireland, 
what you know what the internet has done to travel agents it's eventually going to do for banks and i th- i think that's one way the other way which would be much more radical and nobody has suggested this is that you simply break up the two banks make two banks become four well let me ask you a question about competition why is the eu not an open market for banks a single uh, market is that a stupid question? No, it's not. In, in, you, in a way, are you it, laughing it, at me, Chris? <laughs> well, in a way, it is. In in the sense that you know, when when Britain, for example, was a member of the EU, you had a lot of the British banks present in Ireland, and there are there is to, there is to an extent a single market for financial services that is that is far from complete. It, it it still has lots of barriers. But if a European bank, indeed, if a UK bank wanted to, to come into Ireland, it can. It has to go through a, a very rigorous series of checks, quite correctly, with the Irish Central Bank. In order to operate in Ireland, you have to be regulated locally, and the Irish Central Bank is one of the toughest regulators in the world. That's a, also a legacy of the financial yeah, crisis. Yes. Prior to the financial crisis, Ireland had one of the loosest, uh, happiest regulators on the planet. Yeah, now it has he, said the, there was, he said there was no problem at all, he said. Now <laughs> you have one of the toughest regulators on the, on right. the planet, and uh, that's what happens. If, it's quite possible for any European bank, if they want to, to come into Ireland and, and offer financial services, but they've got to get a license from the from the from the central bank and and so yes the, the single market is 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 not easy uh, it hasn't been completed in full but but it is not impossible it's just somewhat difficult let me ask you finally two questions one question is about the news overnight of the increase in russian interest rates they went up three and a half percent to twelve percent yeah the uh, ruble Chris, has crashed the, the ruble uh, has crashed, and I wonder how the Russian people will respond to that, if they respond at all, in terms of what Putin is doing to bring this situation around. There's not much they can do, is there? Well, no, they, they can't exactly protest these no. these higher interest rates in any meaningful way. It's a staggering, uh, there were 100 uh, rubles to the dollar. Yeah, and it, it, the ruble has has gone down a lot, and it's back. It, it's it's crashed to where it was just after the invasion. It did go up actually, and the, the Russian economy has not crashed. That's one of the reasons why the ruble went up over the first year or so of the war. Uh, the Russian economy is starting to feel the strain of the war and the strain of sanctions. But but that said, it was never much of an economy to begin with. It's very much. An oil and gas economy. Yes. And clearly the oil and gas revenues have suffered a bit with various sanctions. Uh, the Chinese and the Indians now buy Russia's oil rather than us, although we still right. buy some of it. But the price that they pay for it is a lot lower than it would otherwise have been. They, they're very canny purchasers, shall we say, of Russian oil. So Russian oil revenues are still there, but they're under a lot of pressure. And that's one of the main reasons why the ruble has crashed is that uh, the, the Russian economy, there isn't really much, but certainly by way of external trade, exports and imports, it's all oil and gas. And that's where all, all of the action is. And that's what generates the revenues for the Russian state to spend such as it does on its citizens. There, there isn't much else to the Russian economy other than its oil and gas sector, sadly. Right. A final question about Minister Harris's plea for the Irish banks to um, be a bit more proactive 
in terms of what they pay in interest to savers. Is it likely to have any effect in the budget that's coming? I don't think it will impact on the budget. I think the bank levy is almost certain to be extended into 2024, whether or not... No, I'm talking about the interest rates that oh, they, well, well, savers well, are, are yeah. not getting. Well... Uh, one of the thing, one of the one of the small things that that happens as a result of the banks not offering decent savings rate statement is that if you go to the government and go into national savings, state savings, I think it's called in Ireland, yeah, they too have negligible interest rates. So, right. and, and of course, that's the taxpayer benefiting from that. In that, uh, okay, if you if you want if you want to make to have a decent rate of return and are willing to lock your money up for a long period of time, this is not financial advice. Neither you or I, Eamon, are regulated to give financial Indeed. advice. Indeed, but you could lend money to the Irish government in in the bond market for just over three percent. Get over three percent for ten oh, really? years now. Yeah, so that's one way of doing it. Go to your go to your friendly broker or bank. Get them to buy a ten-year government bond. You'd have to hold it for ten years to get that three uh, percent. But think, that's that's I the sort of in, thing. In my case, that might not be a good bet. <laughs> yes, but there are there are alternatives. But but I, other than the banks themselves deciding that the PR that they're getting is so dreadful, again, that it would make PR sense to put their interest rates up right. a bit. I can't see anything else pressuring them to do it. There won't be any legislation for them to do it. No. Okay, Chris, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Chris Johns is former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland and uh, a great asset to our program. And whenever it comes to uh, these matters, he is the oracle. We're grateful to Chris, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.